you've given us a powerful weapon to survive in this world, and it's prayer. And God, I pray that somehow um, that you would help me to get it. Father, we know, Father, this message is not about guilting us about the fact that we don't pray, but motivating us to pray, but being honest about where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Statement number one, what, what prayer is, and, and for one thing, prayer is going beyond the veil. And what I mean by that is prayer is entering the presence of God. You see, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's people worship first in the tabernacle, and then later they worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And when you look at the temple, right, that's, that's a crazy design. I don't know why I picked that one, right? It's crazy. It's in your notes. I tried to read it this morning in your handout. Like, whoa, it's crazy. All right? But when you look at the design, it's almost like keeping God distance. Like, here's God's presence right here in the most holy place. So, you know, the Gentiles could come here. That's as far as they could go. Women could only go that far, right? Um, the men could go this far. And then the holy place, that's where one priest could go three times a day at 9, 12, and 3, the times of prayer, which interestingly, Jesus was crucified. He was nailed at the cross at 9, and someone was in there offering prayer while they were nailing him to the cross. At 12, when someone was in there praying, darkness fell on the land. And at 3, when Jesus breathed his last, there was someone offering prayers to God while they were murdering God. And then in between this room and the most holy place was this thick curtain that separated. And only the high priest could go into this room one time a year on the Day of Atonement. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 16. And check this out, what Jesus, what happened when Jesus died. Matthew writes this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, Matthew 27, 15, 51, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That, that priest had to be freaking out. <laughs> I didn't do it. It wasn't me, I promise. Why do you think it happened? What, what do you think it meant? Check out Hebrews 10. So brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear because of the blood of Jesus' death. We can enter through a new living way that Jesus opened for us, at least through the curtain or the veil, which is Christ's body. You see, the torn curtain represents Christ's body. And because Jesus' body was ripped in two, because of the blood of his death, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear. And listen, Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and I to be able to go into God's presence. Do you appreciate that? Do you take advantage of that sacrifice? Paul writes in Ephesians 3.12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come fearlessly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. Did you catch that? Not only can we go into God's presence, but God actually wants us there. He's glad that we showed up. What is prayer? Prayer is coming into the presence of God. It's 
taking our concerns to the one who cares. Prayer is communicating with the creator of the universe, with the one who, who spoke the entire world into existence by simply speaking a world, a word. Let there be the Milky Way galaxy. And it was. Now, prayer is a child talking to his father. Prayer is taking our hurts to the, to the father of compassion, the God of all comforts. It's reaching out to our redeemer. It's, it's, it's crying out to the rock that is higher than we are. It's calling out to the only one who can save us. It's bringing our questions to the one who has all the answers. It's reaching out to the never tired, never confused, never afraid, never overwhelmed, or never taken by surprise, God. It's connecting with the all-powerful, all-knowing King of Kings. Prayer is the trigger that unleashes the supernatural power of God. Prayer is coming near to God. Deuteronomy 4 verse 7 says this, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way our Lord is near us whenever we pray to him. Now, I think you agree that prayer is pretty stinking amazing. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of your death. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing your body to be torn in two so that we can go into God's presence. Next statement, what prayer can do, and prayer can do a lot. And the reason that prayer is powerful and effective is because our God is powerful and effective. Uh, check out what these scriptures say about God. When 90-year-old Sarah doubted that she would finally have a son, God said to her, and here's what we're going to do, right? This is going to be your line. The scripture is going to be your line. I'm going to do the intro, and when that sucker pops up, you're going to say the scripture, all right? Okay? So don't say it yet. I'm going to read the, okay? When 90-year-old Sarah doubted that God would finally give her a son, God said to her, When Moses doubted that God could provide meat for millions of people for a month, God said to him, Now, when God told Elijah that he was going to fill a valley full of water without rain or wind, he said, Uh, when asked to believe in a future deliverance, even as Babylon was laying its seeds against Jerusalem, Jeremiah prays. An angel from heaven told a teenage girl who was about to give birth to the Son of God. And, and, and Jesus, who knows God better than anyone, said, With God, all things are possible. Amen. You all did so good on that. How powerful is our God? He's all powerful. Is there anything our God cannot do? I'll answer that. No, there's nothing he can't do. But understand, God in his wisdom, and he's smarter than you are. Look at your neighbor and tell them God is smarter than you. And I'll say, I'm smarter than you. No, don't say that. <laughs> you can say, I wish I was as smart as you were and win some points, right? But, but see, he's smarter than us, and he has chose in his wisdom to accomplish much of his will through the prayers of his people. You see, God has decided not just to arbitrarily move in and out of things in this earth, 
though he's able to do that. Instead, he's chosen to limit what he does on this planet so that we can join him in the unfolding of his plan. What I'm trying to say is that God often waits for people to pray and then he pours out his power in response to those prayers. For example, Moses prayed and God turned back his wrath. Jonah prayed and the great fish spit him out. Joshua prayed and the waters of the Jordan parted. Joshua prayed another time and the sun stood still in the sky. Solomon prayed and God gave him wisdom. David prayed and his enemies were defeated. Esther prayed and the people were saved from annihilation. Hannah prayed and God gave her a son. Samson prayed and the Philistine temple came crumbling down. Hezekiah prayed and 15 years were added to his life. Elijah prayed and the prophets on Mount Carmel were destroyed. Young Josiah prayed and revival swept across the land. Nehemiah prayed and walls that had remained in ruins for 150 years were rebuilt in 52 days. The believers prayed and the building shook and the church was born. The early church prayed and the gospel, despite persecution, spread across the entire world, not by power, might, but by love and truth, turning the world upside down. Now, 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 would God have responded if those prayers were not prayed? Maybe. But we don't know. We have no guarantee. However, here's what we do know. From those examples, and there are many more, we know the power of God was triggered by the prayers of his people. Now, understand, there are things that God wants to happen that will not happen unless someone prays. And there are things that God does not want to happen that will happen unless someone prays. James put it this way, you do not have because you do not ask. And Jesus said, ask and you will, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door is opened. Bottom line, before it's given, before we find, before the door is open. We must ask, seek, and knock. Get it? Get it? Get it? Good. Hope we do. Hope I do at least, right? Uh, Check out this quote from a a famous uh, preacher in England named Charles Spurgeon from the 1800s. Whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Ask and you will receive. It is a rule that never will be altered in anybody's case. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the elder brother of the family. But God does not relax the rule even for him. Remember the text. He's going to quote Psalm 2.8. The father says to his own son, Ask of me, ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. If the royal and divine son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot expect the rule to be relaxed in our favor. Why should it be? What reason can be given why we should be exempted from prayer? What argument can there be why we should be deprived of the privilege and delivered from the necessity of supplication? I can see none. Can you? And then he concludes, if you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is, and I beseech you to abound in it. We must ask, we must knock, we must seek, we must pray. If Moses would not pray, God may not have turned back his wrath. If Jonah didn't pray, God may not have spit him up on the shore. 
If Hannah didn't pray, maybe God wouldn't give her a son. If Esther didn't pray, God would have delivered his people, but not through her, right? I like what this guy named Walter Wink. History belongs to the intercessors. Those who believe and pray the future into being. And listen, you have no idea how many people have been strengthened because you asked God to encourage them. Or how many people have been healed because you prayed for their bodies. Or how many prodigals have come home because you lifted them up in prayer. Or how many marriages have been restored because you went on your knees for those marriages. Question, do you know of any marriages right now that maybe are hurting? Let's take a brief moment and pray for those marriages. If you know any that are hurting right now. Father, we pray. We pray for the marriage that we're thinking of right now that's hurting. And God, that you will have your way. That you encourage the husband and the wife to hang in there. That you enable each to see their own faults and work to draw closer to you, that they may draw closer together. And Father, if their children's in that home, I, I pray that both husband and wife will fight for that marriage for the sake of their children. Give them a spirit of forgiveness and grace and mercy and hope. I know it's hard. Comfort them and be with them because some are really discouraged and just want to give up on it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Say, the truth is, none of us will know this side of heaven, the true effects of our prayers. But I guarantee when we find out, it'll blow our minds. I like what Bill Heibel said in his book, uh, Too Busy Not to Pray. Uh, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. His supernatural strength is available to praying people who are convinced to the core of their beings that he can make a difference. Are you convinced to the core of your being that whatever situation you're facing, whatever mountain is in front of you, that God can make a difference? I hope we are. A prayer is going beyond the veil. It's coming to God's presence, and it can do anything. Statement number three, the causes of prayerlessness or unprayer. And as crazy as it seems, God's people, even though they have access to the throne room, even though they have the ear of the one for whom all things are possible, far too often do not take advantage of that privilege. That's why Isaiah wrote these words 700 years before God put them in flesh and came to this planet. Hear these words. The Lord says, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. They're hurting, marriage was crashing, things were falling apart in their life, but they didn't ask for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that did not call on my name. All day long, I opened my arms to rebellious people, but they followed their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. This is probably why they didn't call on him, right? Because when you're not living right, and you want to keep living that way, the last person you want to invite into your presence is who? God, or his word, or his truth, or his church, or a Jesus follower. Prayerlessness is why Jesus told that parable, right? In 
in Luke 18. He said, hey, I, I wonder when I come back, will people be praying? Will I find faith? Well, people believe enough, they're looking at all the crises around them in their world. Oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. But will he find us on our knees crying out to him, believing that he can make a difference? That's why James wrote, you don't have because you do not ask. Check out this quote from a guy named E.M. Bounds about prayerlessness. We have every reason to fear that we are doing more of other things than prayer. This is not a praying age. It's an age of great activity, of great movements, but one in which the tendency is very strong to stress the seen and the material and to neglect and discount the unseen and the spiritual. Prayer is the greatest of all forces because it honors God and brings him into active aid. There can be no substitute, no rival for prayer. It stands alone as a great spiritual force, and this force must be eminent in acting if any great movement is to be advanced. Few Christians have anything but a vague idea of the power of prayer. Fewer still have any experience of that power. The church seems almost wholly unaware of the power God puts in her hand. It's astonishing how little we use it and how little we reap its benefits. Prayer is our most formidable weapon, but the one in which we are least skilled and the most adverse to using. When we calmly reflect upon the fact that the progress of our Lord's kingdom is dependent upon prayer, it is sad to think that we give so little time to the holy exercise. Everything depends on prayer, and yet we neglect it. Not only to our own spiritual hurt, but also to the delay and injury of our Lord's cause upon the earth. The force of good and evil are contending for the world. They are. If we would pray, we could add to the conquering power of the righteous army. And yet our lips are sealed and our hands hang listlessly by our side. And by holding back from the prayer chamber, we jeopardize the very cause. And by holding back from prayer chamber, we jeopardize the very cause in which we profess to be deeply interested. Ouch. You know when he wrote that? About 140 to 150 years ago. And unfortunately, prayerlessness is, it's, it's alive and well, even in our day. Um, Jim Zimbala, in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, wrote this. What does it say about our churches today that God birthed the church in a prayer meeting and Prayer meetings are almost extinct today. Am I the only one who gets embarrassed when religious leaders in America talk about having prayer in the public schools? We don't have that much prayer in any of our churches anymore. Out of humility, you think we would keep quiet on that particular subject until we practice what we preach in our own congregations. I'm sure the Roman emperor didn't have prayer to God in their schools, <laughs> empire, but then the early church didn't seem to care that Caligula or Claudius or Nero did. How could any emperor stop God? How, in fact, could the demons of hell make headway when God's people prayed and called upon his name? Impossible. In the New Testament, we don't see Peter or John wringing their hands and saying, oh, what are we going to do? Caligula is a bisexual. He wants to appoint his horse to be a Roman senator. He really did. Uh, what a terrible model of leadership. How are we going to respond to this outrage? Let's not play games with ourselves. Let's not divert attention away from the weak prayer life of our own churches. When the apostles were unjustly arrested in prison and threatened, they didn't call for a protest. They didn't reach for political leverage. 
Instead, they headed to a prayer meeting. The apostles had this instinct. When in trouble, pray. When intimidated, pray. When challenged, pray. When persecuted, pray. If our churches don't pray and the people don't have any appetite for God, what does it matter how many are attending our services? How would that impress God? Can you imagine the angel saying, oh, your pews. We can't believe how beautiful they are. We've been talking about your pews for years and your sanctuary lighting. It's so clever. The way you have steps coming up to the pulpit is wonderful. I don't think so. If we don't want to experience God's closest here on earth, why would we want to go to heaven anyway? Prayerlessness. It's alive and well. Uh, a recent Barna survey said this. Uh, you, let's see if you can guess. Oh, I filled it in. Sorry. Okay, the average church member spends one minute a day in prayer. The average pastor, just five minutes. And, and check these stats out. People spend 142 minutes a day on social media, 225 minutes a day on average watching TV, 340 minutes per day on their phones, and one minute a day, or five minutes a day in prayer. I, I think you would agree that, right, that, that churches and followers of Christ don't pray nearly enough, which begs the question, why not? I want to suggest a few reasons. Number one, we don't really believe that prayer accomplishes all that much. In his book, author Richard Meyer recalls a time when he was giving a prayer seminar and he asked a question like, hey, why don't Christians pray more? And a very honest woman named Audrey answered this. Because deep down, we don't think prayer really does much. We think it's a nice religious thing to do and it makes us feel better, but that's about it. If we really believe prayer got God's attention, our knees would have calluses. But they don't. Because we don't believe prayer does all that much. And that's the problem, is it not? That uh, many of us don't believe that prayer really does move the hand of God and accomplishes all that much. And listen, even if we deny believing that prayer doesn't accomplish much, right? Our actions and our inactions and our not praying tells a true story. Bo Hybels begins the third chapter of his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, this way. If you could ask God for one miracle in your life, knowing that he would grant your request, what would you ask him? And, and, and then he, he, he lists several possible, several possible requests you might have. To put your marriage back together. To change something about your job. To bring home a straying son or daughter. To heal your body. To straighten out your finances. To bring a loved one to Christ. All right? And you and they says this, whatever your request might be, do you regularly and diligently every single day bring it to God in prayer, trusting that he will intervene in your situation? If not, why not? Maybe it's because we don't believe that prayer really does accomplish all that much, right? If we're really concerned about those things, are we praying about it diligently like that widow knocking at the door? Another reason for prayerlessness, I think, is like we have a faulty concept of God. Like, like one faulty concept is we think God is just this mean old grumpy guy, cosmic killjoy, right? And, and so I don't, who wants to go to mean old grandpa on the porch, right? Uh, the other wrong view of God is we think God is this cosmic uh, uh, vending machine, 
You know, we say the right words, we put our prayer in, and out pops whatever we want. Problem is, life does not work that way. And what happens is, we put that prayer in, we say the right words, we don't get what we want, and then we get mad and we start kicking the vending machine. Right? We get angry at God and we start praying less and less and less and less. See, the proper view of God is to view God as a heavenly Father who hears every one of your requests and will always answer your prayers for your good and for his glory, right? Here's the ball, and we'll always answer for your good and his glory. And when we have that view, it's like, okay, I can pray to God about this because I know God, I know that God will answer for my good and for his glory in this situation. Another cause of prayerlessness is, you know, we're too self-reliant and too self-sufficient, right? We think we can handle it on our own, right? Uh, Nofel Staten, a professor at Pacific Christian College, writes this. I'm convinced that we have caved into theology that God has checked in his power because we like to stay in control. So we replace praying with planning, intercession with involvement, waiting with working, patience with perspiration. We've made organizational skills and planning more significant than God's power, right? We got a crisis in church. First thing we got to do, how we can figure, let's get the whiteboard out. How we can correct it, or even our own life, right? Rather, hey, you know what? Let's get on our knees and pray to God about this situation. A fourth reason is we think we're too busy. <laughs> and if we're too busy to pray, we're too busy. Amen? Martin Luther said this, I have so much to do today, I need to spend two hours in prayer instead of one. And see, it's a matter of trust, right? He says, you know what? I, I, I trust God. I got so much to do that I'm just going to trust. I got to trust God. And I trust that God can handle things better than I can handle things on my own without him, right? And I think we'd agree Satan doesn't want us to pray, right? Would you agree with that? It, like, he's in a war with you. I don't know if you know that or not. See, he's declared war on you whether you want to acknowledge it. And he has one goal in this war, to steal, kill, and destroy the abundant life that Jesus died for you to have. That's his one goal. That's his one aim. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates your children. He hates your husband. He hates your wife. He hates you. And the last thing he wants to do is to come against the weapon of prayer. And so he will whisper, don't pray. You got it. You can handle it. Don't pray. Don't. He'll give you every reason in the world not to pray because he's terrified of God's people on their knees, humbly crying out to their God, right? Don't let them win. He wants to win. Don't let him win. And, and, and I think another reason is we're not sure how to pray, right? I mean, it's awkward, like we're talking to someone we can't see. What do we say? How do we say it? Where do we begin? Which brings us to the very last statement, you know, a pattern of prayer. Luke chapter 11 opens up with this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray. They've been watching Jesus pray. and Like, man, no one prayed like Jesus prayed. They've seen people pray for years and years, but there was something about the way Jesus prayed. And, and Notice they never said, teach us how to do miracles. Teach us to preach like you. They said, no, teach us to pray like you, right? Like, like imagine that you love golf, right? And, and you, you have golf magazines and golf videos. You subscribe to the golf channel, Imagine one day you get a phone call. It's like, hey, yo, this is Tiger Woods. 
you know, I'd like to fly you to Pebble Beach and help you out with your golf game. Would you take him up on the offer? <laughs> I think you would, right? It's a no-brainer, right? I mean, when someone has a great skill and what's your greatest passion, right, you would jump on it in a heartbeat, right? Like if Michael Jordan said, hey, I'd like to help you with your jump shot, right? If Jeff Gordon said, I'd like to teach you how to drive really, really fast, right? If Jimi Hendrix was alive and said, hey, would you like to learn how to play guitar? Or Neil Pearl said, hey, if he was still alive too, right? You know, the drummer for Rush, one of the greatest drummers of all time. Hey, would you like to learn how to drum? Or if Chip and Joanna Gaines said, hey, would you like to find out how to remodel your house? I'd like to come and help you do it, right? I mean, again, it's a no-brainer. And they've been watching Jesus pray, and they said, man, we've never seen anybody but pray like you, Jesus. Because, listen, prayer marked Jesus' life. I mean, you read the Gospels, you see him praying all the time, Right? We see him praying when he began his ministry, right? Baptized by John, goes out in the wilderness and praying. We see Jesus praying when he was attacked by the, when he was attacked by the evil one, right? In the wilderness he prayed. Satan came at him and he kept praying and praying. Uh, we see Jesus praying when his schedule got demanding. In, in Mark chapter 1, things are going really, really difficult. Things are really busy. People are coming to Jesus. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus and Mark 1, 35 reads, the next morning, Jesus woke up before daybreak and went out alone into wilderness to pray, right? We see Jesus pray when he had to make a big decision. Before he chose his apostles, he went up all night to pray with God. And then when he came down from the mountain, he picked his 12 disciples. We see Jesus praying when he was brokenhearted. As soon as he heard that his cousin John the Baptist had been murdered, what did Jesus do? He got in the boat and went alone to spend some time with God because he was hurting. We see Jesus praying when he was worried about his friends. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. Can you imagine that? Jesus said, I prayed for you. I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus praying for his friends is awesome. We see him praying when he was concerned about the church, he's about to leave. He's about to leave the king of the church in the hands of people. And he knows that we are people, we do not have a good track record of getting along. <laughs> and what did he pray for? Unity. I, I, I pray the church will be one. And then when he faced his ultimate challenge, what did he do? He went to the garden. Shortly before his arrest, and he cried out to God. I mean, he gives a great example of... Uh, when you and I should pray, right? When we're attacked by the evil one, when we begin a ministry, when our schedule gets demanding. Is your schedule demanding? When you have a big decision to make? See, don't, you know, pray for God's will in that decision. When you suffer a loss, when you're worried about your friends, when you're concerned about the church, when you face a huge challenge. So he comes and he says, all right. They say, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. And Steve Bailey's going to have some people help. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to take a few minutes, but I'll tell you what, stay with me, right? This is so stinking important. Uh, what I've done on this little card here, this amazing card, any typos, it's my fault. Um, it, it, I'm taking the Lord's Prayer and the acts of prayer and merge them into a pattern that can help us in our prayer life, right? Because sometimes we don't know how to pray or, or what to pray for. And so my goal is that you take this, it's in cardstock, right? 
That means it's going to last longer. This is not for your gum or your neighbor's gum or your kid's gum, right? This is for you to stick in your Bible. And, and what we're going to do, once everybody gets one of these in their hands, is we're going to practice. I'm just going to give you a taste, right, of, of what I'm talking about, of a way that you can pray to God. And my challenge will be this week for you to do this, right? And, you know, the acts of prayer, you may have heard of this before. You know, the, the A stands for adoration, right? It, it, it sets the tone for our prayers, where we begin. You know, it's where we recognize who God is, that he's great, that he's powerful, that he's mighty, all the things that he can do, right? And, and it sets the tone, reminds us of who we're talking to, right? And, and so what we're going to do is, is, I'll just do a count of three because I like a count of three. And it's like after I say three, not on three, after three. Right? Is it on three or after three, right? Very important if you're disabling a bomb, right? Okay. Um, I, I'm gonna, on count of three, we're going to say this out loud. Our Father who art in, and notice it's in the heavens. It's actually plural. It doesn't show up in English. Remember the Jews had a concept of first, third, first second, third heaven. First heaven is the atmosphere. Second heaven is where the stars are. Third heaven is the boat of God. So I think Jesus, our Father who is in the heavens, he is as big as the stars, but as close as the air that you breathe, right? I think that's very intentional, but it gets left out. But we're going we're gonna to say, our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored, right? And we're going to say that out loud together. And then you're just going to take, if you want to spread out, you can or say where you are. But then you're just going to close your eyes and just spend a moment, right? Telling God how awesome you think he is, right? On a count of three after three. One, two, three. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Jesus, there's nothing you can't do. There's no mountain you can't move. No giant you can't slay. You're mighty, you're holy, you're just, you're good. You love us, even though you know us. In Jesus' name, amen. The C stands for confession. And this is where we kind of come clean before God. You know, we, we confess our sins. Got any? Yeah, you do, all right? Now, we did that last one solemnly for the confession sins part. I think it'd be beneficial for us to do that out loud. Um, <laughs> lean in towards your neighbor, get out a notepad, right? And then you may have something on them for the future. No, just kidding. Um, but this is where, and, and maybe one of your sins, right, is unforgiveness, right? So, so the way I'm wanting you to do this in the future, you, this week you get a piece of paper, just for this week, right? Hopefully longer. You go A, C, T, S, A. Adoration, maybe you write something out. But you say, our Father who art in the heavens, right? And then you say confession. And then I'm going to say one, two, three. After three, we're going to say this. And then you're going to take a few minutes, right? Be honest with God. Because what does Scripture say? That if we confess our sins, what does God do? Kick us? No, he forgives our sins, right? You don't have to carry your burden of sin, right? He forgives our sins. You don't have to. God doesn't believe in prolonged guilt. He likes guilt to get us to repent, and then we can move on, Okay? So after three, one, two, three, 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, we, we have sins, we have things we're struggling with to stop doing things that we know we should do that we're not. And Father, I'd pray that if any of us are holding unforgiveness in our heart, that we realize that you are not okay with that. Help us to forgive others as you've forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen. The T stands for Thanksgiving, and though it's not explicitly, how do you say that word? Like you say it, not like I say it. Okay, I, I, I are a communicator, go figure that, right? Um, it, it's not in there, but throughout scriptures, we're told to give thanks, right? And it's so important to thank God for things, right? You, there's so much you have to be thankful for. A, a, anybody out there breathing? Raise your hand if you're breathing. Anybody's heart beating? All right, okay, okay, good, good. You know, can you see, right? Did you eat? You got a home, right? There's so much. Oh, my life's so hard. Really? You breathing? You going to heaven? All right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, and, and so we're going to say on three, this right here, it's uh, out of Thessalonians. And then just take some time, you know, to thank God, right? One, two, three. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given us and all you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Now, obviously, I'm just giving a taste so you kind of walk through it, know what it's like. You know, you may want to take a lot longer, but I think it's good to get a feel for what we're talking about here. Supplication, right? And, and why I like acts of prayer, because this is where, like, we pray, make requests of God, and usually this is where we like to start first, and this is usually where we pray the most. And I love the acts of prayer because it, it keeps me straight. Hey, God, I want to recognize who you are. Hey, God, I got some junk I need to deal with. God, you've really done a lot for me. I want to thank you for it. And then now I get to the stuff that I want to pray for. And again, you know, using the Lord's Prayer is how we're going to be doing this, right? And, and one of the things Jesus asked us to pray for, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And, and, um, and so uh, there's many things you can pray for, for God's will to come in your life and a family member's life in the world. But during this specific moment we're going to do just now, I want you to pray that um, his kingdom and will will be done here at Maple Grove as it is done in heaven. So after three, we'll say this, and then you're going to pray for God's will, not your will, not my will, not the elder's will, not the world's will, but for God's will to be done here at Maple Grove. One, two, three. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, God, I 
Father, may your will be done here at Maple Grove in new and fresh and God-ironing ways that just blow our minds. That's more than we could ask, imagine, or dream of. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're going to pray. Um, give us this day our daily bread. And this is where you, you can pray for your needs, maybe the needs of a family member. And just know that, that, that no need is too big for God to handle. And no need is too small for him not to be interested in, right? You know, he can handle anything, but he wants to hear about everything, right? If, if you're a decent parent, right? Like, you don't just care about the big things. You care even about the little things your, your, your children are going through. Oh, that's a little, right? And so God is interested in everything you're going through, okay? And, and, and it's this day, right? You know, we, this very day that we're in, you know, um, do we need, we could have emotional needs or physical needs or security. Who knows what those needs are, right? You, you do. And, and so uh, I'll say one, two, three. We'll say to give us this day our daily bread and just, just pray a need for you, a family member, or, or whatever, uh, give us this, uh, ah, where'd the three go? I was doing so good. I was so proud. Uh, one, two, three. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you, Father, for always meeting our needs and for the needs that were prayed for in this room and at home, online. I pray, Father, that you will respond the way you always do for their good and for your glory. And then the last part is a good thing to pray for, and, and this is where we, we have an enemy, right? And, and I don't know about you, I'm, I'm tempted every day to do something stupid and wrong and sinful, right? And an evil one wants me to do that, and uh, we're in a spiritual battle, right, all the time. It's not against flesh and blood. And, and so um, this is where we pray, right, that God will protect us from the evil one, that will give us strength to overcome temptation, okay? And so I'll say one, two, three. Oh, you guys know the rest. You're better at it than I am. One, two, three. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we know that devil is coming at us. We know the devil hates us. We know that each of us will be tempted in some way by him to live a life that not, does not honor you. Help us to be strong. Help us to stand up under that temptation. Help us to overcome the evil one so that we can live the life that you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're about done. And, and, but I did, and again, you know, if, if you do this, it'll make a difference. Anybody believe it'll make a difference? That if you actually do this and pray, it'll make a difference? Okay. Okay. You know, just do it, right? You know, no one, got, and God's not going to make you do it. He's going to say, hey, if you want to do life on your own, all right. 
You can't. I'm not going to force my way. I'm not going to force my way to move in your life. But, but he, he, he most definitely would like to. And, and, and so I want to encourage you just this week, so it's not overwhelming, you know, you know that you get a, you know, a sheet of paper, right? Uh-huh. Mine's got all kinds of stuff on it. But anyhow, and you would just write A-C-T-S and just write out those things this week, you know. And you know, pray the Lord's Prayer and then hit these things. And that's why you got this little, it's a little guide to help you with, right? And, you know, it'll be in the email this week. We'll have it so those at home can get a copy of that as well. And, and, and uh, you know, continue to encourage people, right? You know, let's not just be hearers only. Let's not take notes, not our heads only. Let's encourage people and let's pray and, and watch God move. And this is not your notes. This is going to take me about one minute. You know, I just want to tell you, like, when my quiet time, God said, oh, you probably should say something like this. And I said, okay. Uh, it didn't like, not like an audible voice, but, you know, like, here, kind of the purpose of prayer, some of the purpose, you know, it draws us closer to God. You know, the more you pray, the more you share with God your hopes, your dreams, your burdens, your failures, your fears, you're going to be closer to him, right? You want to be closer to God? Prayer is a way to do it. Uh, uh, a prayer... Prayer is going to help to advance his kingdom. That's why we pray, right? It's going to help to advance his kingdom on the earth. Uh, prayer is going to allow him to move in and through your life in ways that you cannot even imagine, right? That's why we pray, right? And, and, and then because of prayer, right, God will meet some of your needs and some of the needs of those you love in ways that he wouldn't meet if you didn't pray for them, right? So that's, that's why we pray. You're going to be closer to God if you do this. His kingdom is going to advance if you do this. You know, you know, people's needs are going to be met if you do this, right? You know, and, and so that's why, that's why we pray. God will be able to move in and through you in ways he hasn't been before if you pray, right? And, and so I just want to encourage you guys to do this. And, and uh, we're going to close with a song. Um, it's called Run to the Father. Every week we take communion after um, the service, I mean after the song, and at each station here, if you didn't grab one, you can, you can grab a little cup. And, and uh, if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray. Uh, Father, thanks for letting us call you, Father. Thanks for calling us your sons and daughters. Thanks for loving us when we're unlovely. And God, I pray right now, especially the opening words of the song, and Lord, maybe there's someone in this room that, man, they have been carrying a burden for far too long. They've been trying to do life, do their marriage, trying to fix things all on their own. And I pray that this song will not just be the closing thing we do before we leave a room, but it will be a defining moment in our lives that we realize that whenever we want to, whenever we need to, we can run to you, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.